Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Fitter and Faster Coaches Corner. I'm your host, as always, Mike Murray. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, Abby Fish, from her aptly named company, Swim Like a Fish. You've probably seen Abby somewhere in the swimming world if you've traveled to any clinics or if you've been watching the content that she puts out online. Just so much great information for coaches. Abby has an extensive background in swimming. She swam at the University of Georgia, uh, swam at Lakeside Swim Club, right, growing up. So with Mm -hmm. Mike and uh, you had Harvey and Jack in college. So just a, a plethora of great swimming mentors around you. One of the things, Abby, that I've always appreciated about you is that you have this great passion for our sport and intertwined in that passion for our sport is your ability to connect with people. You have this effervescent personality. You're always looking to make new friends in our swimming community. And Mm. you reach out to so many different entities within our swimming community, whether it's different businesses, whether it's ASCA, uh, ISCA, whatever, whoever you choose to work with, you bring your passion, energy, and enthusiasm. And I know I certainly appreciate it. And I know so many in our community appreciate it as well. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks so much. That's quite the intro. Uh, I feel very blessed with my own swimming background being exposed to uh, such a high level of swimming. And then now, as I've been, you know, kind of maneuvering this entrepreneurial lifestyle, but still in a swimming vein, uh, I do get to choose whether I want to stay in the high level competitive arena or if I want to go and, you know, into more of like a learn to swim and how, you know, I can kind of control the image and where we are and where we're talking to, uh, because at the end of the day, it is a hundred percent true. I love swimming uh, and I have loved swimming my whole life. And so I'm very glad that that message is being sent to everybody, no matter who I work with, uh, because that is the end of the day. That is why I do what I do. When you were a youngster and you were growing up inside of a program like Lakeside that has so much history, so much tradition, a lot of expectations too, and Mm -hmm. a lot to live up to as a young athlete, what made swimming so much fun to you as a young age grouper? Yeah, so I won't lie. When I started at Lakeside, um, I was moving to Kentucky from Pennsylvania. So I came from a very small club team. Uh, We did maybe 3,000 to 4,000 yards a day. There was like 20 kids in my group. It was out of a high school. It was kind of one of those old school like dungeon pools with the tiles, like it was dark and and everything, but I still loved the sport. So I loved going to swim practice, but I was never exposed to like that next level of swimming. I was a good swimmer. I always won summer league meets. Like I won some of our age group meets, but I was, I was never aware of like where the ceiling really was with swimming. And so when I moved to Louisville, I tried out for Lakeside and I remember being completely gassed for my tryout. And I came home, I told my mom, I was like, I don't know if I like swimming anymore because I was really hard. Like the 75s, I think were like on like 130 or something. And I was like 12 or 11 and there were like IM and some freestyle. And I was like, I I couldn't even make the interval. Um, So for me, my personality is geared towards enjoying a challenge, whether the challenge actually scares me or I'm a little fearful of it. So I got absorbed into Lakeside and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. 
Um, but it was really hard for a very long time. Like I wasn't great immediately when I started swimming on Lakeside, I, I became great with hard work. So I enjoy tradition. I enjoy a good culture. I enjoy knowing that it's possible, like where these ceilings are, like what is possible to achieve. And so the more I was around other people who are like pursuing excellence, the more I realized, well, Hey, I, I guess I could do that too. And so, and it's just like, you feed off of each other and it's, you know, once again, it's been around since 1928 um, and it's a gold medal club. It's had Olympians, like its name speaks for itself. And so it, it's very inspiring as a young kid, even if you're nervous, um, that that could be the next you. That's a great segue into my next question, Abby, because as you're talking, I'm thinking about the words that you're saying and the weight that they hold, especially mm -hmm. for young coaches and parents and young athletes who watch the show is here you are at Lakeside, this storied program, and you came home that first workout and you said, mom, you know, I'm not sure I can do this. Flash forward seven or eight years, Abby, and you're a junior national champion. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the stumbling blocks that I see for a lot of families, a lot of young athletes, is when they're going through those struggles, mm -hmm. it seems to be the weight of the world, right? But if you can learn some perseverance, if you can have a little courage to get through those moments, great mm -hmm. things will happen. So talk about what that was like to transition from that unsure kid into a future junior national champion. Yeah, so I feel like swimming is one of the only things within, um, sorry, my cat's going to make an appearance here. Uh, we're going to put her down. We love, we love pet appearances on Coach's Corner. Yes, Ava is hungry for lunch right now, so we're going to get take care of that. Um, but I feel like, you know, we live in a world where instant gratification with a cell phone is so quick. So a lot of swimmers um, and even people just expect things to happen immediately. And swimming itself is not built like that. Swimming is a long-term um, commitment with a lot of, like, short-term gains. So, like, it's a hard sport. It's definitely a grind. And I think that that itself can be very demotivating at times when you're so committed and you're so interested in it, but you're seeing like minuscule steps forward. But I do think that that life skill is super important for anybody to learn um, because, you know, for the most part, if you're going to be really successful over time in life or you're, you know, investing in the stock market, the returns, and the dividends and all that stuff that you're going to make is years later. Um, but learning that lesson at a younger age, when you're emotionally more immature and not as developed, is a hard pill to swallow. And so for someone like me, it's not like I wouldn't admit that there were times when I swam at Lakeside that I was extremely frustrated. Um, I got pretty good. And then my shoulder basically gave out my freshman year of high school. And so I spent an entire, you know, eight month season kicking, rehabbing it, like doing my exercises every day, icing my shoulder multiple times a day to be able to continue to keep swimming. And that was always something that was in like conjunction with my swimming career as I still have shoulder issues to this day, but you know, it goes down to choices. It goes down to, I made the choice that I wanted to swim. And so in order for me to swim, I had to do all these additional things, uh, knowing that at some point, wherever I want to go, I'm going to get there. I just can't always determine when that timeline is going to be. That's a great point because as you transitioned from being a junior national champion to now all of a sudden having all of these college choices 
really the, the swimming world at your feet at that point. And mm -hmm. what helped you end up making the decision to attend UGA and swimming for another storied program? And then let's mm -hmm. talk a little bit about your college experience that was vastly different than your experience as a club athlete. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I once again went from this, you know, younger kid on a small club team to Lakeside. I had some shoulder issues and then I made six Olympic trial cuts. So it was just like, boom. And then I won junior nationals three times and it was like swimming world was kind of becoming a thing online. Swim Swim was coming out and there was articles and it was like Abby Fish, the swimmer. And, you know, I was still 15 years old trying to be like, oh, people like know who I am. Like people like care about this stuff. Like I thought I was the only one who really cared about swimming and Mike, my coach, you know, I didn't really realize that there was like swimming fans out there. Um, so it put like a, you know, an umbrella of pressure on me that I, I didn't realize I would have to deal with. Um, but as I started getting recruited and I started meeting other swimmers, like one of my best friends is Allison Schmidt. We started going on recruiting trips together. And Allison was one of those storied athletes who only had made um, a national junior team before she made the Olympic team. So she went from like even, you know, a higher level than I was to even the highest level possible and in a very short period of time um, that I was able to relate to other swimmers who were kind of in the same boat as I was. And that's, that is what led me to my decision to swimming at UGA. I wanted to be around people who were kind of used and wanted the best, but they were used to the pressure of what comes with wanting to be the best because it, it is not easy, especially to stay consistently at the top. So much can be said this day and age, Abby, about mental health, awareness of our well-being. And I think we're just starting to open the door to really being able to help our young student athletes. It is well talked about and well discussed in the media this day and age, the struggles that especially collegiate student athletes are having all over the country, tragedy with suicide in, in student athletes. What were some of the challenges uh, and the pressures that you faced as a college athlete that, number one, were really difficult to get through and how you got through them? And then number two, how that helped you learn to move forward? Yeah, so my college career is actually something for a long time I never wanted to talk about because the end of that equation was the word failure. And I felt like a complete failure from my lack of performances at Georgia. Um, obviously I was recruited. I was swam on a full scholarship. Like I was at one of the best programs in the country. We were winning NCAA titles, but I wasn't doing any of that. And I knew that I had the ability to do that. And so for an array of different reasons, um, I had some sicknesses, I had, you know, shoulder problems. I was constantly kind of in and out of like the medical arena, which kept taking me in and out of the pool. And so I didn't really even realize by the time I was a sophomore at Georgia that I was heavily depressed because um, I didn't have the verbiage to understand what was going on inside of my head. Um, and I didn't have any resources or I even knew how to reach out to those resources to get some help, to be able to kind of like rework some things and um, look at some stuff from a different perspective. So for me, uh, my freshman year, I qualified for NCAAs, and we were, I think, one of two programs that overqualified. I believe Cal overqualified the number of people, and so you're only allowed to take, I think it was 18 at the time, and divers counted as half humans, um, and so they had to cut one person from the NCAA uh, team, and so I had already packed my bag. I had qualified for NCAAs. 
in December. Like I, my vision was there. My taper was great. I was like, I want to win the 200 fly. This is my goal. And Jack called me the night before we were supposed to leave and said, Hey kiddo, we have to cut one person because one of these divers made it. And we decided to cut you. And I was sitting on my dorm room floor. Um, I completely lost it emotionally. I was looking at my suitcase, which was already packed, thinking about how would I come back from something like this, where Jack's vantage point was, you know, if I cut you, you're going to work harder because I know you have more to give. Like you're going to be able to take this adversity and really work with it and become more um, successful in the long term where I actually flipped. He read me wrong and I became way less successful, way more upset um, and just way more, you know, questioning everything. Like what was the purpose of anything um, as I went through my next three years at Georgia? So the end of my career was a lot better than the beginning of my career, but I did have this big kind of valley in the middle where Jack and I were best friends now. We, he's literally a father to me, you know, all of that, but it was, we did not get along. <laughs> for a long period of time. I, I wanted to ask about that story because I knew the end result was you have a very special relationship with Coach Bowerly. And I mm -hmm. know that it's very significant to him as well. So mm -hmm. talk to the athletes who are watching Coach's Corner and the parents who are watching Coach's Corner about your strength and resilience as a person, Abby, to know that, okay, I'm not gonna hold a grudge and I'm mm -hmm. going to keep my mind and my heart open to this relationship because I know that in the end, it's going to be valuable. Yeah, totally. And I, I do think it's hard, right, as a coach. And now that I've been a coach, I understand the other side of coaching um, where when Jack said those things, you know, my first reactions was it was emotional. It was personal. Like it was because of me versus no, there was legitimately rules. He had to make a decision. They, you know, itemized out how many points they wanted to score at this meet to win the meet. And this is what made sense with the team roster. And so like the logistical side wasn't clicking in my brain. It was just the emotional side. Um, so for Jack and I to be able to repair our relationship, a lot of it was just um, a both of us being open and understanding each other as individuals and as humans. And then B you know, I started coaching and then started realizing like the decisions that Jack has made and does make um, doesn't reflect on anybody as humans. It is because he's trying to run one of the best programs. He also thought that this would be the best thing for me and he made a mistake. And, you know, one of the, the biggest pieces um, that made me respect Jack so much more is he admitted that that was a mistake later. Like he was like, coaches do make mistakes, Abby. And I didn't nail this one right with you. I thought you'd be like Clara Moss. And he named all these other people who dealt with different things, but were similar to me that swim at Georgia. And he was like, I thought I understood your personality and how you work, but I did it. And that was like, wow. Okay. He's a human. He's a person. Like he gets it. And um, yeah, literally now, if I called him right now, he'd be like, Hey kiddo, how you doing? Like, we love you so much kind of thing. And yeah, he's, uh, he's just a great person. Abby, talk about that and unpack with me. Help me unpack this. As coaches, we're always trying to think of the right thing to say. We're always trying to solve the athlete's problems, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's very inherent as a coach, uh, as a father, as a parent, as a mother. 
right? We want to do that for our kids or the kids that are in our program. But at the same time, mm -hmm. we're doing the athletes a disservice if we're not having those honest and open conversations with them, even at times where some of what we're saying could hurt. So what have yeah. you learned in your career about how to walk those delicate lines? Yeah, uh, well, A, I think the expectation of time is something that both parties have to kind of absolve from their brain um, because sometimes, you know, like I'm a fixer. I'm someone who likes to come in and fix things. I'm very other centered. So like I have a tendency to focus on my athletes more than, you know, I'm focusing on myself, which I think is what makes most people great coaches. But at that time, is that the right time to be addressing this situation? You know, does it need to be right now? Can it be in two weeks? Can it be in nine months? Or is it something that, you know, maybe will sort itself on its own? Uh, and I think that just comes from a lot of like, for me at least, self-awareness and self-growth internally. Um, to try to be like, you know, what Jack does, he, you know, he tries to read a situation as best he can. And then he makes a decision on how he's going to act on that situation versus always like, if your inherent response is to fix it, you're literally just going to fix it or try to fix it. And you may not fix it in the way that could be the best if you just took a little bit of time. Boy, I, I could have used that, uh, that piece of advice with some mistakes I've made in my career over the time. But uh, our, our colleague, Samantha Arsenal Livingstone, she has this great phrase where she says, you know, breathe, reflect, respond. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm trying to take that approach as we get into 2022 here. Um, yeah. Abby, what, what do you think the overarching number one philosophic change occurred in you when you look back at your college swimming experience? It's a good question. Um, I would say that, you know, it's interesting. So I came from a program that does a lot of yardage from club. You know, we did six to 7,000 yards in the afternoon, three mornings a week, plus a Saturday. I mean, it was a grind. And then I looked at colleges and I remember looking at Cal thinking, okay, Terry does some different things. She does spin classes in the mornings versus not always swimming in the mornings. Um, like, could I be successful under a different web? or a different like puzzle piece. And I was very certain that I had to be like grinding, which UGA does grind. That is their style of training. So I went to a very similar program to a program that I grew up in. Um, whereas now I obviously come at the swimming world a little bit more from a technique vantage point um, and a lot of video analysis um, that I would say that that shift changed because I felt like that shift is something that I needed in college, but I didn't necessarily always get. Like I have an aerobic base still to this day. Like if you ask me to go run 26 miles, I can go run 26 miles. I might break my knee in the process, but I will finish 26 miles because I'm trained that way. But I was never necessarily trained well from, you know, what do you do when you break down or because your shoulder has changed like, the way your stature sits, like how do we change your technique? So the biomechanics are a little bit more efficient through the pool. So I've shifted in my philosophy of what I thought I needed to what I know would have worked. And that's how I coach now. Sure. I mean, that that's, that's the evolution, right? We're all kind of going through that. And mm -hmm. we're a big program that still believes in volume and aerobic training, but even that's changed in the way that we change our groups. Fair to say that some of your 
experience dealing with an injury has made you a little bit more passionate about technique? Mm, yeah, definitely. I will say that like I was a swimming nerd before I even like coined myself in the swimming world as a swimming nerd. So like I would watch my own races. I would look at my own underwater film. Like I was always trying to figure out like how could I get that like competitive advantage? Like where's that little X factor for me personally? Um, and I do think that with my shoulder, you know, with a different set of circumstances and a lot of focus on like perfect fly, pretty fly, not ugly fly, it could have given me a different outcome in the long run. Um, but, you know, for me, the, as I said before, the longest time I never wanted to talk about my career because I felt like a failure where now it's like, okay, cool, that happened. So let's try to like take what I learned from that and look at the swimmer that's in front of me so that way it doesn't happen to them. And that's a lot of my motivation. One of the things that I've always appreciated about you, Abby, is you're not afraid to try new things and you're not afraid to try new experiences. So you've worked at so many different places and with different specialists in our sport, whether it's Gary Hall Sr. or you know whether it's starting something new here in Louisville with, with the Triton uh, swim team. Talk about why you're not afraid to make some of these jumps. I mean, you have your consistent business that, that you've started and you, you've uh, cultivated, but you're also mm. not afraid to dip your toes in some other things. Yeah, so I feel like that's like kind of at the beginning when you gave me that intro and you're like, you've been all over the place. And it's like, some of that does, like if you just look at it, it looks like paint splattered on the wall, but there is like a method to this madness. And a lot of what I've been doing, um, since I started coaching is trying to have experience with within all levels of the sport, because I want to understand how you take a six-year-old, you know, how do you kind of mold them? How do you get them to buy into swimming? So, you know, they're 11, 12, and they're kind of looking for sectional cuts. And then how do you make the jump from sectionals to futures to juniors to get them into college? Um, Cause obviously I understand my process, but my process is not the same as everybody else's process. So I want to be able to, when I talk to coaches, depending on if you're coaching 13, 14s and so-and-so is coaching eight and unders, I can talk to them at the level that they're currently at versus I've gone to ask it before. I've watched the Greg Troy talks. I love Greg Troy. I think it's awesome, but not all of us are actually Greg Troy. So it's like, how do you relate to these coaches that want to be better? They want information on how to get better. They want resources, but they also don't want to be listening to the Olympic sets that they're never going to use with their 10 year olds. So I am very thankful for, you know, I worked at USA swimming. I've worked at Nashville aquatic club. I've worked at the race club. I was with Ritter sports performance for a long time. I just left Triton and now I'm coaching a high school. And I remember talking to my aunt, she was like, why are you coaching high school? Like, you don't even have time. And I'm like, because I've never coached high school before. Like, this is a piece of this pie that I haven't touched yet. I need to see what this is like and dip my toes in it. So that way, when a high school coach comes to me and has questions, I literally understand exactly what they're dealing with. You know, Abby, as I look at, you know, all of your experience here, a question that begs to be asked is, you know, in, in my career, the coach-athlete relationship was important, but mm -hmm. it was very one-sided. And I think in your career, you're younger than I am, but I think it was still that way. Mm -hmm. How important is the coach-athlete relationship, aside of the X's and O's of swimming, as mm -hmm. my friend Alexis Keto always says, 
the most important thing you can do as a coach is meet athletes in their space that day. Talk to me about what you've learned about cultivating the coach-athlete relationship. Yeah, I would say that for me, um, like as you said before, like I've always kind of done things a little bit against the grind. And so like I coached club for the last four years, but I traveled all the time. And so to other club coaches, that was like, what are you doing? You're not supposed to skip practice. Like you should feel so incredibly guilty for not being at meets that like I'm kind of have always dealt with this weird, like I'm definitely teetering the line of what people are okay with and what they aren't. Um, and I'm fine with that. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, this is how you move forward. You move forward by someone kind of pressing the edges, finding where the edges are and doing something different because we can't continue to do the same thing and continue to expect success. Like that doesn't work like that. And so I feel like because I hop around so much, like, you know, I could name off the five athletes I was on the phone with today. They're all through different organizations. Like I feel very good at the um, coach athlete relationship that I develop, no matter who I'm working with and under what umbrella. I do think that's something like special that I'm, I'm, I do well within my own personality, but as far as that consistency piece, that's the one piece that makes my job hard is because I'm not always on deck with some of these athletes every single day. And most of these athletes have the expectation that that is what a coach does. So we're, you know, we're kind of teetering and walking that uh, tightrope together um, basically trying to push this sport forward, understanding that you don't always need the coach standing there watching you do a 300 warm up, And the coach also doesn't need to be there to stand there to watch the 300 warm up. Like they have a life, they need to be healthy. They need to be happy that, you know, all of the balance in things can be more balanced than just, you know, it's super tilted to the athlete and themselves. Right. Which many young coaches and, and myself included when I first started was, it was all about trying to get 70 hours in, you know, and uh, that has a lot of consequences both then and later in your career. So important mm -hmm. to keep those things in perspective. Yeah. Um, Abby, one of the things that, that you are kind of known for is your great energy on deck and your enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. Where does that come from? Is it because you're just so passionate about the sport or is it, is it an excitement about the athletes you're working with? Where did you learn that? And, and, Maybe was there a coach that kind of showed you that pathway? Yeah, I would say that from a coach, um, I'm not sure that I would say that there's like one specific coach that really came at it in the way that I come at swimming. Um, in my own personal life, I'm a huge jokester. Um, I do like things that are like trendy. So like I really get into music uh, and I always played a lot of like very loud music before I'd go to practice. So I'd kind of like amp myself up for practice so I'd have something running in my head as I'm doing Mike DeBoer's 4,000 yard main sets. Um, but yeah, I do the same thing with coaching. Like I get excited when I know that I'm going to the pool. Um, you know, I get the music going and I'm just kind of like, I do all this stuff at home. I'm alone most of my days, unless I'm on the road that when I'm finally like out and about, it's like, Oh, I, I like come alive. Like my personality actually comes out. Uh, and with kids, especially like, you know, under 18, like there is that element of fun still that needs to be there. And I truly believe like you can fake swimmers into working hard if they believe that they're just having fun or they're playing a game. And so I'm big into just like challenge sets or even like sprinkling some fun here as a prize to something else where it's, you know, it keeps the grind 
disjointed in a way that it doesn't just seem like you're on this rat race with no end. Sure. <clears throat> One thing that I know you're passionate about and you're growing into it more and more is your involvement with para swimming and Paralympic mm -hmm. swimming. Talk about that and, you know, how you've grown into that space, what excites you about it, uh, how inspiring those athletes can be. Yeah, so para swimming, uh, like the vein that's always run through my own career was is one of my best friends is a Paralympian. And I met her when I was still post-grad training at UGA. Uh, her name is Lindsay Grogan. We met her at ASCA and we became just fast friends. So I kind of knew that Paralympic swimming existed, but then I really understood more of the Paralympic pathway through Lindsay as I watched her grow through that pathway while training like offsite and with Athens Bulldog Swim Club. So they contacted me at ASCA last year to start talking about how maybe we could work in conjunction with one another. Um, and I was like, oh, this is interesting because it's kind of like it's been there, but it's never been like the focus of anything that I've been doing. I've just been hanging out in totally the able-bodied space, doing my own thing, bopping around, like loving swimming, screaming about how I love swimming and like just enjoying my life. And so Para, yeah, came into the picture in January and I was kind of feeling like with the club team I was working with here, I was doing the same group. I'd been the same group for four years. Like we knew what the level was of the group and what we wanted them to become, where they were in that athlete development progression. And I just kind of felt like some of the feedback I was giving because of the age of the swimmer was some of the same feedback I'd give every single season. And so it was starting to feel repetitive to me. Um, not like I couldn't change it or kind of like mold it into being something different, but I was like, you know what? I, I feel like I'm ready for a change, but what is that change going to be? And so I went to my first national team camp with Para and I did a bunch of underwater filming and I was just sitting at the bottom of the pool, like, oh, like this is unbelievable. Like if I could articulate what I'm seeing right now to somebody else or even get someone else to understand from a biomechanics perspective, what these athletes do, and how that can transfer to able body. I was like, no one does this and no one knows how to do this. So I was just like having this moment under the pool, like this is what I wanna do. This is where I wanna go because like there's so many like similar lessons through the two that I think coaches don't understand. Um, and so, yeah, it's been awesome because like once again, I had like my tallied list of like, okay, if you're 12, let's do four dolphin kicks off the wall. Like, don't forget about your streamlines, like that kind of stuff. And I was like, wipe all of that off the table and look at this Paralympic athlete. They might even not even have an arm. So like, how are they going to streamline or what are you going to call it? Uh, so I just had to completely clean off the slate and start like brand new. And then like my whole, my whole self got re-energized and I was like, yeah, we're going for this. <laughs> we're going to build for this and see what happens. What you just explained is something that I had never considered like the way that you're communicating with these athletes is vastly different just because their differences in their bodies and mm. having to really dive into your thought process to be able to describe something that you've described a million times before, but using yeah. different examples and in a different way, that's got to be exciting and, and encouraging as a coach. Oh, totally. I feel like it was, we had one-on-one -on -one athlete meetings all through that week. And so we filmed during the camp and then i talk with them at night and I remember just being like after day three I was like man my brain is tired because I know what to say with freestyle like I know what to say with butterfly like I I know what I think I know what my coaching philosophy is now that it's not hard to have able-bodied you know video reviews 
but I'm sitting there, I have to learn, you know, about their background, their history, like, is there, um, uh, you know, injury or something that put them in the Paris space, something that is going to progress over time, or is it something that will stagnate for a while? Like there's, there's much more history and conversation that has to happen on a background from a background perspective before you can even start giving advice um, about their disability that, yeah, it, it just pushed me so much more. And as I said before, like I'm used to the grind, I'm used to working hard. I like being challenged that after a while with club coaching, I was like, I'm not being challenged here. Like I want to be mentored and challenged and I want to grow. So like, how do I find opportunities that will help me continue to grow? Really neat. And, and the journey of the athletes that you work with has to be so rewarding, seeing how you had to really change the way you thought about coaching. And it mm -hmm. probably is going to make you a better coach for the able-bodied space too, where now you've learned how to communicate on two different levels. So, you know, it's, it's a really interesting thing to be able to do both and, and work with athletes at a high level in both places. So I'm jealous that you get to have that experience. Abby, what are some of yeah. the things that you're super excited about our sport moving forward here as we get uh, into the middle of this quad? Um, well, A, I think it's pretty exciting now that we're finally more away from COVID than we are like bopping in and out of COVID. Yeah. So <laughs> a lot of people are, you know, back into more of like a regular season. There's meets, there's less of like I feel like a lot of people were bracing for a long time on just how to, how do we get through this? Like, how do we motivate our athletes just to like get to the other side? And now we can start really having those goal meetings and things to look forward to, um, which is the fun part of swimming. I mean, swimming through COVID was a whole chapter in itself for everybody who was involved, but it's less of like, how do we like survive and more of like, how do we thrive? Um, which is, enticing and then obviously I love the Olympics and so like when we're smack dab in the middle of a quad it's kind of just like all right like if you're gonna do this you're two years out like this is like tunnel vision like let's go so with the the Paralympic team you know counting down to Paris 2024 it's like every time we meet it's just like turning that dial a little bit more like the the heat's turning on like everything matters. And like, I am getting excited thinking about it. I'm like, Ooh, yes, everything matters. Like, let's go. You know, I'm getting chills just because it's, it's exciting to me, like wanting to help someone be the best version of themselves possible at the most opportune time, uh, does take a little bit of magic involved in that equation. No doubt about it. This is an impossible question to answer. So my, all <laughs> the best of luck to you. But what yeah. do you think is some of the best advice you ever received? It could be from, you know, a parent, a friend, a uh, colleague. Best piece of advice that, that you go to in your head when you're going through some tough times? Um, best piece of advice? I think, you know, with kind of the, some of the stuff I described in college, like, you know, a lot of people see my life now, you know, and even some coaches out there I know you know, cause it's like, I'm different. Like I'm not just doing the coaching grind. You know, I work out every single day. Like there's choices that I make that are different than other coaches. Um, you know, has, I've kind of dealt with being at low, low points. Like I've, I've dealt with being at the bottom. Um, and one of the things I've always said to myself, and it's actually a tattoo I'm going to get, I just haven't gotten it yet. Cause I get a little nervous by having tattoos, um, <laughs> is that no matter how bad something does get, 
like the only way to get out of it or the only trajectory to come from it is up. And so it's like, I, I never thought I could get lower than I was a couple of years ago. Um, and it's true. I probably couldn't have, but you know, there were days where it was just like incrementally higher. And then there was days where there was a lot better. And then there's, there's now where it's like, I look down at where I was and I'm like, so thankful that I have the perspective of being there, but I don't ever want to be there again. Sure. Sure. And dealing with some of those, you know, uh, personal struggles and, you know, everybody has their own sense of self and individuality. And as you're growing inside of this sport that you've loved your whole life, that had to be a challenge for you to kind of navigate that space. And maybe it felt like you were alone a lot of the time. It did. And I mean, if you've known me for 10 years, you'll see a very different physical person presenting themselves to you. And the physical outlook is because of an internal process. Like it's not because one day I just decided like, okay, I think it'd be cool to like cut my hair. Like very few people kind of like get out from their lane. Like they just hang out in their lane and you hang out where you're comfortable. And so, yeah, I had to go through a very um, strong process of figuring out who I was, you know, what I wanted in my life, like what's important to me. Like, I do know I love swimming, but like, what's the big goal here? Like what value do I bring to the world? Um, Cause I'm a very deep thinker. And I do know that swimming is like the lane that I want to focus on and how I can like spread, like, I guess like my message to, or like make a big impact. Um, but the reality is, is I want to help people become better versions of themselves and how I do that is through the sport of swimming. And so I needed to answer the big questions. I needed to know my why more to be able to like show up, to be able to help someone else figure out their why. Spoken like a true coach. That's hopefully, <laughs> you know, what, what we're all in this. All right. This is a funny question and I'm sure you've been asked it before, but how challenging was it as an age group senior and college swimmer to have a last name like fish? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and navigate the sport. It's so, it's just so crazy. I mean, like I remember when I was younger, like, you know, the timers, they're sitting there with their little, like, you know, like clipboard thing and like they're whatever. And so like, there would always be one who's like looking at the clipboard and like looking at me and I'm just like, stop looking at me. And they're like, look at me, look at clipboard. And I'm like, you know, I'm like young, I'm like 10, 12, I'm awkward. It's just the whole thing. And they're like, is your last name really fish? And I'm like, I don't even know how to change my name. Like why? <laughs> like, why? Um, and so, yeah, I'd be like, yeah, it is. So the puns and everything have been there like my whole life. And even still to this day, it's so funny to me. People are like, did you change your name? Because they asked me whether like the business name, like I wanted my business to be swim like a fish. So I changed my last name to be fish. And I'm like, no, but like, thank you for thinking that like I just don't know how to respond sure sure yeah. I, I always wondered that you know what that would have been like I had a friend uh in the sport his name was Mitchell Phelps oh and, ooh, uh, okay so Mitch had to deal with a lot of that going through it but Abby yeah. how can people connect with you and how can they find out more about swim like a fish yeah, so Swim Like Fish is on every social media channel out there. <laughs> we also have our own website. It's swimlikeafish.org. Um, but yeah, the best way and probably easiest way is Instagram and Facebook. Um, 
Um, my Instagram is at the, which is T-H-E, and then a fish with the number one. Uh, and then my Facebook tag is at fish swim faster, which drum roll was a potential uh, business name before Swim Like a Fish was actually born. Okay, awesome. Really yeah. enjoyed this conversation today. Thank you so much. It's going to be up on uh, on our website on Fitter and Faster tomorrow, and we'll have it all across our YouTube and Spotify channels. Abby Fish, super fun, 45 minutes. I knew it would be. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. <laughs> have a good one. Thank you.